You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Forest Park, Georgia. And tonight, we have Hank Seaton checking in with us tonight to help answer any and all of your transportation law questions. And we are going to get right over to Hank here in just a second. But first of all, we want to start off as we normally do with the DAT Trend Lines Report. I'm sorry, we're going to start out with the uh, USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report. And this week on the USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report, Kind of more of the same of what we've been seeing, showing that most markets are either at adequate supply of trucks, have slight surpluses or surpluses. There are no markets that the USDA uh, monitors showing any slight shortages or any shortages of trucks. So it's kind of bad news for us reefer haulers, for us guys doing uh, refrigerated freight and any of you other guys that may be dibbling and dabbling into Pulling any type of produce or anything, even with, uh, you know, with the Bennett vans or anything else, um, you're going to be a little bit hard-setting getting really good rates on the spot market, which kind of ties into a little bit of what we're going to be talking about tonight with uh, bringing Hank on. We're going to try to give you guys some more information to arm you and equip you to try to give you a little bit more of a competitive advantage when you go out and try to seek and talk to more direct shippers. Uh, there are a couple of different nuances that you can exploit being a motor carrier that a broker cannot exploit, and we're going to talk and we're going to try to highlight a couple of those different key points to kind of get you guys some uh, material so that, you know, maybe give you a little bit of extra confidence to let you know that it's possible to go out there and, and uh, educate the direct customers out there, and by educating them, you're delivering a certain amount of value to them and that may garner you and build, start to build rapport and respect from that potential direct customer, and they will appreciate that and, and, all, and in turn uh, give, or be more likely to give you a shot at getting that direct business. Uh, let's see here. So we want to jump right over right now and jump over into the DAT trend lines report for this week, and unfortunately it's more of the same talking about how load availability declined on the spot market while truck capacity held steady, load-to-truck ratios fell as a result, and the national rate slipped one cent per mile of all segments, vans, reefers, and flatbeds. And we're going to jump over into the U.S. demand, U.S. van demand segment of this report. And the U.S. van ratios have fallen 9.8%. Van load posts were down 9.3%, while truck postings held steady at 0.6%. The resulting was a 9.8% decline in the average load-to-truck ratio, falling from 1.6 loads per truck nationally down to 1.4 loads per truck nationally. Van loads posts added 2% in September compared to August, and capacity recovered 1.8%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio held steady, at 1.8 loads per truck for the third consecutive month compared to a typical condition from 2014. The ratio has declined 42% over that time frame. 
drive van segment portion of the uh, DAT report. And let's jump over and look at the national average. If one cents to a dollar seventy-two cents per mile through so the uh, average fuel ratio has rose one cent in response to the previous week's high fuel high fuel costs. Rates were slightly up in the Philadelphia Boston uh, Philadelphia Buffalo, and prices trended downward in the southeastern market. Fan rates slipped and dipped one cent compared to August at one dollar seventy-four cents per mile. The national average was 28 cents below the rate for September 2014, due partially to fuel price decline that shaved 22 cents per mile off of the average fuel surcharge. Going and checking in quickly around the country, northeastern corridor shows an average rate for dry vans at $1.81. Southeast checking in showing $1.73 cents per mile on average. Midwest is showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.97. South Central region of the United States showing a $1.60 per mile average. And coming out of the West Coast, we're showing an average rate of $1.96 per mile. Moving over quickly into the dry van, uh, excuse me, the flatbed demand segment of the report. Flatbed loads posts dropped 4% and truck posts were down 1.6%, resulting in a 2.4 decline in the load to truck ratio as a national average. The ratio dropped. From 10.6 to 10.3 loads per truck, the national average rate flatbed rates fell one cent per mile. Flatbed freight availability dropped 4.8 percent in September, and capacity added 2.8 percent to yield a 16 percent decline in the load to truck ratio. The ratio was 10 was 10.5 loads per truck in September, dropped down from an 11 11.3 loads per truck in August. Usually high demand in September. 2014, over the, from the high period of 2014, the ratio has declined 66% over that course of time. Moving into the flatbed rates for the week of October 11th through the 17th, national flatbed rates fell one cent down to $2 even per mile with a two cent decline in the line haul portion of the rate, partially offset by a one cent, one cent increase in the average fuel surcharge. Flatbed load posts were down, also down from the previous week. Flatbed rates dropped three cents in September compared to August, compared to 2014. Last month's rate fell 35 cents per mile, due partially to a 25 cents decline in the average fuel surcharge. Checking in across the country, we're showing coming out of the northeastern portion of the United States an average of three dollars and nine cents per mile. Coming out of Harrisburg. Moving into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta shows an average rate $2.34 per mile for flatbeds. Moving into the Midwest, Rock Island shows an average rate of $2.33 per mile. Coming out of Houston, showing $2.17 per mile on average. And coming out of the West Coast, we have Phoenix, Arizona checking in, showing an average rate of $1.71 per mile for flatbeds. Moving quickly on over to the reefer demand segment of the DAT report, reefer load availability fell 7.3% while truck capacity remained unchanged, down 0.2%. That led to a load-to-truck ratio of 3.7 loads per truck nationally, a 7.2% decline from the previous week. There were 2.3% fewer reefer loads available in September compared to August, and capacity declined 4%. 
As a result, the load-to-truck ratio was unchanged at 4.7 loads per truck. Compared to the atypical results from September of 2014, the load-to-truck ratio has fallen 48% over that time span. Over that time span. Moving over into the U.S. reefer rates for the week of October 11th through the 17th. Reefer rates were down one cent for a national average of $1.96 per mile. As reefer demand continued to decline, prices were up in Northern California, but rates fell sharply in Miami. Reefer rates slipped two cents lower in September compared to August year over year. Reefer spot market rates were down 31 cents due mostly to a $0.25 cents drop in the average fuel surcharge. Checking in across the country, we have Elizabeth, New Jersey, checking in showing an average rate of $1.74 per mile coming out of the northeastern portion of the United States. Lakeland, Florida is the southeastern portion of the United States representative showing an average rate, a paltry rate, of $1.23 per mile per reefers. Wow. Uh, coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, we have out of the Midwest showing an average rate of $2.80 per mile right now. If you're going to try to get really uh, decent rates for reefers, it seems like the Midwest Green Bay is a great place. Coming out of the south central portion of the United States, McAllen, checking in, showing an average rate of $1.64 per mile. And coming out of the West Coast, Fresno, California, checking in, showing an average rate of $1.86 per mile coming out of the West Coast in Fresno, California. And that, ladies and gentlemen, kind of wraps up the uh, DAT um, portion of the report. I just wanted to get a chance to get in, get that out really quickly so that we can bring on, I guess, Mr. Hank Seaton, because I don't want to cut into too much of his time. I want, to, want him to be able to kind of highlight some of these points and also be able to take as many calls as you guys want, as many questions as you guys want to field. So if you got any transportation law questions or anything else that we've got to kind of touch on and discuss previously, go ahead and press number one right now. Get yourself lined up and get in the queue. I see we got quite a few callers on the line tonight, so if you want to make sure that you get your question in, go ahead and press number one now. We can try to get you screened so we can get to you. And with that said, and no further ado, we want to bring on our team from uh, Seaton and Hust Law, Law Firm. Hey, Hank, are you, are you there? I'm here. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Well, before we jump into anything else, uh, as far as what we've been talking about, anything new on your end of the of the world that you might want to highlight and, and tell us about before we jump into the the subject at hand? Yes, really. Uh, there is a uh, bill being marked up tomorrow. It's the highway bill on the uh, House side. There's uh, a lot of effort to finally get funding. Uh, to fix the roads, but unfortunately, it's going to be in a 500-page bill. The portion of the bill that uh, concerns me the most is relates to SMS methodology and uh, the uh, ability of shippers and brokers to just stop using carriers because they think they're bad risk. Unfortunately, the bill that the uh, House is considering is an interim hiring standard that would say that shippers and brokers could use carriers with satisfactory safety ratings for a year until the agency certified that SMS methodology had some correlation to safety, and then you might get a new or different hiring standard. That's something that a, a number of trade associations I work with uh, would hate to see be passed, and we've tried to lobby in as best we can to uh, explain to uh, 
the House uh, uh, T&I committee that that is not a good idea. At this point, all I can say is I think that people's general frustration with the Congress is probably should be shared by small trucking companies. I'm not sure they're really listening to Main Street, and uh, obviously the plaintiff's bar has a hand in the legislation. So it's something that you need to be watching. It hasn't been getting much press. Uh, but look for something uh, tomorrow to come out of markup. Uh, the House is considering a bill. At this point, the Senate's not considering anything. So it's quite possible that anything is better than what's uh, being marked up. Uh, there are. It's been a lot of effort, a lot of uh, lobbying put into trying to get congressional oversight over the agency, and so far it's not working very well. So with that gloom uh, assessment of your Congress at work, uh, let's go on to the ninth topic. All right. I apologize about that. Oh, I put my phone on mute real quickly. And uh, the next thing that we wanted to ask about, Hank, if you could expound upon um, the different uh, topics that a, a carrier might be able to present to a potential direct shipper. Is there anything that we can expound upon to try to give ourselves as motor carriers a competitive edge that's going to help us when we're going in and we may be competing against uh, maybe another uh, a broker or someone else, but it's something that we can go in to try to help educate some of, some of the potential shippers that are out there? Well, I, uh, I think uh, this topic got really near and dear to me today as I was looking at a shipper's contract uh, that they had given to a broker to sign. And as you went through the contract, uh, there was really nothing in there that the broker could attest to, uh, primarily because the shipper is looking for someone who warrants that they'll handle it in their own truck, who provides them with proof of evidence and insurance, who has a decent safe profile, and who they can actually put on the bill of lading to their warehouseman to load the guy's truck. And, uh, you know, it increasingly becomes uh, a problem for a broker to uh, uh, sign a shipper's contract. So really, uh, except for the fact that you're small and they want to aggregate it and do business with large folks, uh, you've got uh, a competitive edge if you uh, uh, can provide some repeat service to someone very hard to pull up to a freight dock and say, hey, I'm from out of state, but I want to haul your freight. You've got to, you've got to develop a rapport with somebody to do it, but uh, you need to tell them, look, I have got what you need in that I can provide you with a certificate of insurance. I have got uh, real cargo insurance. You can name me on the bill of lading. You can contact me if there's a problem. You don't have to worry about your load being double brokered, about your load being stolen. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, whether or not the insurance is for real, uh, whether the carrier is for real. And at some point, you, uh, uh, if you rely exclusively on brokers, you've been let down because a broker has a shortage, can't find a truck, uh, the truck it hires doesn't get here on time. Uh, I want to be able to work uh, uh, closely with you. 
to be able for you to contact me and know that uh, uh, I'm going to give you a real estimate of where I am and when I can make pickup, and uh, that we can develop a, a relationship that's based on trust. And I, I, I think that uh, if you get the shipper at the right time when he's uh, he's been burned once too often by a broker promising more than he can deliver, uh, maybe that's a winsome argument. Uh, I'd like to think the economy is going to pick up and that there will be shortages in particular areas and particularly smaller shippers will be uh, more receptive to do business with uh, uh, with small carriers. Uh, but I, I think the things you have to sell uh, is, is consistency, predictability, the ability to uh, assure them that the uh, load is going to be on a truck that, that, that you control uh, and that uh, they don't have to just uh, uh, trust and verify with respect to the broker. Uh, so uh, I think those are probably the highlights. Uh, of course, uh, some of the problems are if the shipper is wedded to a multi-page contract that you have to review and execute before you handle it, then you've got, uh, uh, you know, some problems about uh, what the, uh, the contract contains and whether they're asking you to uh, assume unreasonable risk. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like you, you can't get outside uh, your your culture and your insurance. If you uh, if you have a hundred thousand dollars worth of cargo insurance and it's uh, uh, got an exclusion for theft, then you need to be sure that you're uh, appealing to a customer who doesn't have an excess value shipment uh, and who who's going to be adequately covered by your insurance. Uh, also, uh, now that you bring uh, now that you bring that point up before before we, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity. Now that you bring that point up, speaking of, on, along those lines, if, if you get a customer and they have these contracts, um, and I'm not trying to serve up a softball question to you, and uh, no, I'm not trying to pander to you with a softball question, but really just trying to from from the interest of protecting your own backside. If you got a, if you get a contract from a shipper. It really would be valuable, in my humble opinion, to have it reviewed by an attorney. And, how, and and just since you are an attorney and we have you on the show, what would something like that? What would something like that? Just kind of put that out there, ballpark, maybe. Uh, you know, not holding your foot to the fire on it. But what would something like that to get to have an attorney review a contract like that? Well, that I mean, you know, um, I hate to, I hate to I hate to say that attorneys work by page, but. You know, the typical contract I see is eight to ten pages long, and it it should take an attorney, uh, you know, about an hour to review. So, you know, all in, you ought to be looking about 300 or $350. But the issue then becomes uh, once you mark it up and your attorney says, hey, you need to negotiate this, is there going to be negotiating room with the shipper? And a lot of that, I think, is really related to uh, the nature of the shipper and uh, whether or not he's uh, uh, really the kind of guy you want to do business with. You know, uh, you're going to you're going to have uh, an impossible time uh, getting on the bid list for 
a Fortune 500. And if they've got a 30-page contract, you don't want to pay a lawyer to look at it because chances are uh, it's going to require assuming a whole lot of risk that would break a small guy. I don't mean, I don't mean to be uh, uh, discouraging at all, but uh, uh, I think you're. I think a small businessman is probably better off finding a shipper who, in turn, is a small businessman and uh, exactly. has an appreciation for the problem you're going through. Exactly, and I, and I think that you know you should. We shouldn't be the people that are probably listening on this phone call on this line. Uh, we we probably shouldn't be chasing down a big bird like a, a Fortune Fortune 500 company anyway. Not to say that there's not opportunities that lie there can be had with Fortune 500 companies, but we it's, it's a little bit easier sledding and, and probably a little less regimented to try to get in with one of the smaller people uh, and, and get yourself established there. And with that said, Hank, I want to try to put a pause button on, on some of your points because we got, we get uh, lined up with a bunch of questions. So I'm going to try to get a squeeze a couple of these questions in real quick. Okay, that'll be good. Uh, we got, we got Chad calling in. Chad, uh, no, Chris, I'm sorry. Chris has called in, uh, has two questions. Chris, you're all live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Yeah, this is a little bit off topic, um, but it, it's definitely about law. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting set up as a new carrier and everything, and I got to go through the whole um, KYU number and the, all the, those things. I mean, in particular, I'm talking about KYU, and I'm just curious about, you know, with the interstate commerce clause of the Constitution, how exactly is it that these states? I mean, if I had to do that for every single state, it seems like it would be cumbersome and it, it would really limit my ability to to freely do business. Um, so, A, I'm just kind of curious, like, how is that legal? And B, is there any kind of challenge or coordinated effort, um, you know, something that I could, you know, donate money to or give my time to, to help kind of overturn, to, to challenge that? Because it just it doesn't seem right. Well, yeah, I understand the KYU number has been around and Kentucky's been getting away with it for years. Uh, what actually happened is going back, 20 years, we used to have what was called bingo stamps. Uh, if anybody remembers uh, those days, they're probably as old as I am. But there were about 30 states that uh, charged a registration fee to uh, register your authority and prove you had insurance. But it was just a way to tax outside state truckers. And along the way, uh, Congress got that all melded together in what now is the UCR, the Uniform Carrier Registration System, and you pay uh, one yearly toll to uh, probably your state of domicile, and that money is prorated along to the states as the legacy for for the old bingo stamps. Uh, uh, you know, there is the KYU number. There's a legacy of about three or four states that it, you have to make special compliance with. Uh, uh, my email is H-E-S-E-A-T-O-N at AOL. Uh, Chris, if you're interested in, in learning a little bit more about those states, I'll send it to you. There has been a constant battle uh, fought over the years in terms of state regulation and state taxes. You're right, there is a provision in the... Uh, 
uh, deregulation acts that says that a state may not make a rule or regulation that affects roots, rates, and services, but they have been able to get around certain taxing requirements. For example, New Jersey, uh, which is a pet peeve, uh, requires anybody who falls in and out of New Jersey to get registered to do business as a foreign corporation in New Jersey, and it doesn't matter whether you're in there really one time or 400 times, they may very well stop your truck, pound it until you pay the fee. And uh, uh, when that came out about 10 years ago, we were absolutely apoplectic about it uh, and did everything we could to try to mount a challenge and uh, uh, were shown that the, the precedent was not uh, was not helpful. Uh, Pennsylvania started, but they, they enforced it with six or seven trips in the state. So it is a patchwork quilt. you got to realize that it's probably going to get better, I mean, get worse, not better, because as the feds don't fund the highways, the states are broke, and either they're going to outsource the, uh, the highways to tolls or they're going to try to come up with creative ways to uh, impose taxes. I agree that it is not what the Commerce Clause is supposed to provide. It's supposed to be that you should travel, be able to travel uh, between states. I think what happens, and I know this is, is going to sound to be a anti-small carrier, but people are beginning to realize that the states need the money to fix the highways, and rather than trying to get it with hut taxes or ad valorem taxes and a whole bunch of other red tape, uh, it's probably best through the fuel tax system. At least then the right. four-wheelers get to pay something, too, uh, and there is some rough correlation uh, at, the, at, the, at the pump to uh, your use of, uh, of, of the roads in the state. Uh, this idea of having to pay three or $400 down or whatever it is, for one load in, in in New Jersey doesn't make any sense. So, uh, you know, I share your pain. You've got a good question. The idea of, of challenging uh, the state on uh, uh, aggressive state legislation is something that uh, is repeatedly done. As you know, we've had these uh, lawsuits against the California Port Authorities, which uh, we're trying to make it virtually illegal for independent contractors to, to serve the ports, and 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 that was uh, successfully uh, challenged in court. Uh, in uh, it's in Massachusetts. They recently came down with a new test that no carrier with independent contractors could pass, and the Second Circuit says that that was a burden on interstate commerce. So the commerce clause is alive and well. It just seems to be that it's not enforced by courts very often when uh, tax is the goal and they can make a show that, well, gee, we're really not treating the out-of-state carrier differently than the in-state carrier. Anybody who's based in New Jersey has to pay the, has to get registered to do business in New Jersey. They say, why should folks from uh, uh, Nebraska come in here uh, and not pay the same tax? And, so far, the courts have been fairly tolerant of that. When you ask about the uh, the Kentucky KYU tax, I don't know. I don't know how that survived. 
because, uh, as I said, the, the UCR and the other states uh, are all part of the combine. Okay, well, all I right, appreciate Chris, the input. Good. Yeah, yeah, I guess I just, I'm just more interested. I mean, I think if it's, uh, like you say, you don't know how to survive, why don't we, why don't we challenge it as high as we can go? It just seems like that's the logical thing to do. Well, yeah, it is, but you know, you, you got to realize the the, the American Trucking Association, uh, when all these taxes came out years ago, uh, the various states combined together, hired hired big lawyers, went through it, and the precedent's not good. Uh, you know, I looked at the, uh, you know, on behalf of small truckers challenging the New Jersey uh, uh, statute, uh, got uh, lawyer buddies in New Jersey that looked at it and everybody said, hey, you're fighting a losing battle. Uh, you know, uh, the worst thing, the worst thing you can do as a lawyer is get your client all excited about the prospects of winning, collect a big bunch of money to run his ticket and then uh, you know, not have, uh, uh, not, not be successful. And, uh, uh, what I'm telling you is the really grievous situation, usually outside the area of taxation are typically, uh, challenged, but, uh, uh, I don't know anybody who's got a big enough budget to take on the KYU tax. And I'm sure if I looked, I'd find that it's, uh, it's been challenged and approved before. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I wish I had better. All right, Chris, better we appreciate your phone call. All right, uh, Hank. We got a couple more people going to try to go through. Maybe get through a couple more questions before we jump back into the subject at hand. We got okay. Antonio calling in. Antonio, Hello. you on live, Rico and Hank. Hey, how you doing, Rico? Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, I, I I do drive in. I, I kind of like came in on the end of it when you were talking about the rates for the uh, flatbed and the reefer and the different lanes. Uh-huh. I, I didn't get the lanes for the uh, for the van. And also, I want to know how do I go about negotiating with brokers on how to get decent a uh, decent rate as in uh, coming in and going out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to tackle your, your last question first. Um, as far as when it comes to negotiating and different things like uh, with, with brokers, one piece of advice that I can I try to give everybody is you're in your, you're in your truck a lot of, uh, for a long period of time. Uh, start getting and listening to more audio books that deal with negotiating. Because you are a trucker and you're not necessarily negotiating may not necessarily be your strong suit, but you got to realize when you're dealing with a broker, a broker is a professional negotiator because he's on the phone talking to shippers and carriers all day long. So he's of course a broker should be a little bit more well versed at it. So the number one thing is uh, start listening to more negotiating books, audio books, and things of that nature to kind of help give you different cues and different keys as far as what to listen for when you're on the phone negotiating with the broker. And, and the, right. number, the other thing that that's not going to cost you anything is just going to take a little bit of training your brain and training yourself is learn how to listen, really listen intently. Don't listen to respond. Listen, you know what I'm saying? Because most people, when they're having a conversation, we hear what the other person is saying, but we're really formulating our our comeback, our response before they actually 
finish what it is that they're saying and coming out of their mouth with. So sometimes what I like right. to do is when I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm listening to a broker um, tell me all the requirements that he needs to have for, for this load, I like to repeat to him exactly what it is that he's telling. I, I, I try to repackage it. I, I put it back in, a, in another format and say, okay, you're telling me that the load needs to be picked up by 2 p.m., uh, it needs to deliver the next morning at 6 a.m. Okay, Mr. Broker, I can do, I can make all of those things happen for you, but th- and, and then I, and I package it back up and I give them my rate, and that way I try to shoot my rate a little bit higher uh, to give myself some room to negotiate if they if they, if they don't give me a rate on the other hand, but if they do give right. me another a rate, you know, like I said, these are all different things that you know. Um, you listen to, like I said, I can give you some audio books by Zig Ziglar. It's a bunch of different people. You, they call it. Um, I said one of the things that they call it is is uh, uh, objection handlers. You got to know how to handle objections or whatever. And and what you're and what I mean by objections, you're going to be basically objecting to the broker on a cheap rate and try to repackage it and give it back to them so that it's more of a, a workable rate for yourself. Uh, and Hank right. is an attorney, so I, I, I know he got some tips on as far as negotiation that he might be able to give to you. The uh, the underlying thing is the whole idea of negotiating traditionally been that the that the broker felt as though he had a wide choice, and if you wanted uh, uh, a compensatory rate, and he thought you could get somebody to haul it for free, he'd just turn you down to get another uh, to uh, to wait for the for the cheapest thing coming. Uh, Hopefully, the turn in supply and demand uh, has uh, has some. uh, Effect. I think what Rico is doing in terms of telling you uh, roots and lanes is letting you uh, not, not be anybody's fool in terms of uh, the broker says, well, all I've got in it is, uh, you know, 98 cents. You know, you know that's not the case. Uh, I think uh, uh, being a, being sophisticated and being able to guess uh, what, uh, what the broker's got in it and uh, not be suckered, Sure, the broker is going to try to make thirty percent if he can, uh, but uh, realistically, to get the freight loops, he's going to, uh, you know, uh, what be happy with the fifteen per fifteen percent? Is that about what they get for average or something? Uh, I think you know to to uh, run effectively, you need to know what uh, uh, what is a good rate in uh, a good rate in that lane, and what it's going to take you to get home. And uh, at a certain point. Uh, um, you know, I mean, one guy I thought was a pretty good trucker. He said, "Listen, I don't turn the wheel unless I can make some money." And I guess he learned the power of no and didn't put himself in in places where he could get raped. So those might be those might be some of the uh, of the ideas that you that you have to put into it. Another thing I think, rather than just saying what does it pay and him telling you, and then that's not enough, is like Rico was suggesting. Uh, Find out uh, what the peculiars uh, of of the of the shipment is. Uh, you can tell if he's telling you, look, it's got to pick up by six o'clock and it's got to deliver at five a.m. in the morning. Uh, yeah, you need to know how 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 far it is, what your hours are, and and, and sell it back to him. Say, listen, man, you're talking about an eight an eight hour haul without breaks. I'm coming off a break. I'll be able to uh, I'll be able to get it there uh, on time. And I don't think you're gonna find many people gonna be able to do that. So I mean that's kind of the way that that you sell it to him 
that you 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 know the uh, uh, you understand the task that he's giving you that you can that you can perform it and uh, uh, you know try to try to sell the superiority of your service and the fact that you're on top of the load and otherwise he can spend the time hunting it but if he's if he's short on time maybe you better snap you because you're going somewhere else and uh, I, I I think Rico's right maybe Zig Ziglar can help you with that. But part of it is knowing what your assets are, knowing what the lane will pay, and then having the power of no. I mean, you know, God forbid, I guess, if you're out somewhere in the country that there, uh, that there is no other load, and this is the only one that gets you within, uh, 50 miles of haul, and you want to see your, your ball play, your son play baseball, uh, at that point, you may, uh, you may take a cheap rate and, and be glad to get home, but otherwise, you've got a business to run. What you make on that head haul and what you make on that back haul uh, has to make for a, a profitable week. So uh, I think uh, hopefully the market will turn and the power of no will uh, will get you to say, look, man, I can't haul it for that. Uh, uh, here, here's my number. Uh, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and then start calling other people if you need to call me back, too. I mean, you know, maybe maybe let him let him cool a little while. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh uh, but uh, those are the techniques that I think I would try. Absolutely, that's that's a great one, Hank. Uh, always, 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 guys. If you if you know that you can't come to an agreement on a load, make sure that the, you you tell the broker, hey, uh, I may be willing to do, you know, give give them your walk away number or whatever, and and always make sure that you leave them your contact information. Of course, yeah, he may have called you, or or you may or you may have even called him, but it always it does never hurt. To always leave your callback information, leave your callback contact information, so that once he, if the market begins to tighten, and once he sees that, then of course, if he has your number readily accessible and available to him, then you may be be one of the ones that get that get that first callback from, versus him having to go back in the computer and look back and say, okay, which company was that that I called? But if he, you know, normally he's sitting there with a post-it note, taking notes uh, as he's dealing with you and on that particular load. And if you got that right there in front of them, then you may be the first person to get that call back. So always, definitely, that's that's a great one. And Antonio, the, the, the second part of your question was about the rates and lanes. I'm going to post that information up on the uh, rates and lanes Facebook page. So if you got my Facebook page, go and check out my Facebook page, and that entire report for dry vans, reefers, and flatbeds will be posted up on that on my rates and lanes Facebook page. Um, and with that said, with no further ado, um, I think we got a couple more people that got some questions. But before we jump back into some questions, I want to get right back into the subject at hand, Hank. And one of the things that we kind of talk on and we about here on Rates and Lanes is to build out, you kind of touched on it a little bit, build out a dumbbell or a tri-haul. That way that you can uh, have you a service area that you can have repeat business on. You, you kind of hinted on that and you touched on that subject a little bit earlier, and that's something that we've been talking about for, man, and probably ever since this show has begun when we started talking about the entire concept of, of building a dumbbell. And and to break that concept further down, when we talk about dumbbell, we're not talking about lifting weights or anything like that. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, you having a domiciled area. If your domiciled area where you are located out of we're going to, let's say, Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're domiciled and you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, well, that's one end of your dumbbell. You probably want to put down a, a 
radius of 150 miles around Charlotte, North Carolina, and everything that falls in within that radius or that zip code of 150 miles of Charlotte, North Carolina, that's that's one end of your service map. And then you may want to pick out another end, of the other end of a service area, and drop down another 150 mile radius. So let's say if you stay in Charlotte, North Carolina, you may want to say, I kind of like running staying in the southeastern portion of the United States, well, let me find another kind of nice-sized city, let's say Memphis, Tennessee. Throw down a 150-mile radius around Memphis, Tennessee. Well, if you throw down, if you know, if you know geographically, within 150 miles of Charlotte, you, you've got uh, such large cities as Spartanburg, Greenfield, Spartanburg area in South Carolina. You've got Greensboro. All of that, uh, even, even as far as Raleigh, falls into a 150-mile radius of Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you throw another 150-mile radius around, say, Memphis, Tennessee, that's going to give you uh, not only Memphis, Tennessee, but then that gives you two below, two below Mississippi. Um, it throws out a pretty nice area as far as uh, Little Rock, almost to Little Rock, Arkansas. So you, you can begin to see how you can start to generate a, a nice little service area by, by just going back and forth in between that 150-mile radius. And if you throw down that gauntlet and say that those are going to be my service areas, and you, it sh- it becomes kind of like shooting fish in a barrel because now instead of you trying to go out and find every company across the United States, well now you got a concentrated area that you start trying to look for direct shippers in. And trust and believe, within a 150 mile radius, I mean, you in, in some cases you can cut that thing down to 50 miles, 50 mile radius between certain cities, and you'll be able to find enough customers in there. If you really start to begin a heavily marketing campaign to find more than enough freight to put on your truck, and if you only got one or two trucks or whatever, then guess what? You only got to find potentially five or three customers to give you just as much freight as you can possibly handle. So, uh, yeah, let, let me, hey, Rico, let me let me make a uh, mention something in that regard. Let's assume that you're domiciled in in Charlotte and you decided that. Uh, you you could get a heavy haul, even though it's even though it's a brokered load. Uh, there's a distribution center in Charlotte, and the guy's got one in Memphis. So you're going to run to Memphis. There is a thing, and you can go online and find them. They're called industrial guides, and they're they're published for like oh maybe fifty dollars a copy, and they're by state. And what they have they is they actually got some free they got some free ones out there, Hank. What'd you say? I say they got some free industrial guys out there. There are a couple of free ones out there. Yeah, available on, well, uh, available know, on the internet. But, yeah, the, the ones the ones that I've seen uh, and used are, are about five hundred pages long, and they have every city in the state and every commercial right. uh, shipper uh, by description of commodity. And you know that uh, uh, that's probably a good way to. Uh, to try to prospect for uh, based upon the size, the nature of the commodity, what you what you might know uh, about uh, about the shippers in your area to to call and and just cold call people. Uh, you know, it may very well be that uh, you know that Family Dollars uh, uh, got a big distribution center in Charlotte, and you know you understand what the inbound commodities are and you, and you see something that might be coming into Charlotte out of Memphis, you call them up and say, Hey, I'm domiciled 
uh, in Charlotte, and I'm over here frequently. I'm a motor carrier. Next time I'm by, can I stop by and, and talk to you? And, you know, if, if you've hit the right size shipper, uh, you may very well uh, uh, actually put the name with the face and says he, he gives you uh, extra kudos for uh, for being enterprising enough to find him. Uh, and, uh, right. you know, that, that may be the way that may be the way to start. I definitely agree with you that if you're trying to scatter shot out of Charlotte just to get the highest paying load going to New York one day and California the next, uh, you're damn, could be damn difficult to get any dependable, uh, backhaul freight on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just trying to go back and, and tap on what you were talking about as far as, um, the other thing that I want to, especially right now, since capacity is really tight. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Brokers are out here, and you, everybody's complaining about the brokers are not giving anything. That They're not you know, willing to negotiate. It's kind of tight. A broker can't, it's impossible for a broker to be able to beat a carrier on price. If you really want to, not trying to make you race to the bottom or anything like that, but if you go out here and if you have a that the beauty of having a dumbbell is you can start to begin to control more of your costs. You know what your costs, you start to learn what your costs should be in between those two particular markets. And once you kind of narrow your costs down and you know that, okay, I can get my fuel here and my fuel is going to cost me X amount of dollars to run back and forth in this particular lane. Well, guess what? You can now, instead of you just going out there, you can advertise a rate. You should be able to go out there because you are the trucking company. You can start to publish and advertise your rate. Get some postcards and mail them out to, uh, uh, you know, an introductory rate. And if you just want to try to get some business drummed up, I'm giving an introductory rate. Well, guess what? You can put that rate down. So at, at, I'm not saying put it at, at your cost, but, you know, you should be able to put it a few cents uh, above your cost well, to get your foot weight to, to, to get your foot in the door and to begin to whet the appetite of potential customers that are out there and get that and start to get your phone to ring with direct shippers calling you now if you're letting them know that if you got two or three trucks, hey, we got a truck in your area every single day, and with a little proper coordinating and planning, you can actually make that a reality and have a truck in, in either one of your markets every single day. And with that, with that, with that kind of, of, of approach, I believe you're going to have a lot of success with being able to get some direct shippers ringing your telephone. But you have to focus on, you got to be willing to make the sacrifice and begin to focus on servicing those primary service areas. You cannot continue to try to run all throughout the country. I think that if, especially right now, if you start to, to, to really narrow down and do some research on the areas that you want to focus on as far as servicing, I think that that's going to definitely give you a leg up. And like Hank was talking about, some of the features about, maybe jump back into that a little bit, Hank, about, you know, the features as far as with the insurance and everything and, and, and beginning to know uh, um, what, separate, what separates dealing with the motor carrier versus dealing with the broker, what, how, how that separation um, really would be beneficial to that potential shipper. Yeah, well, I mean, increasingly, shippers' problems with brokers in the spot market are are, are theft, the inability of the uh, broker to control the payment of the cargo plane, uh, 
uh, oftentimes uh, uh, contracts I see, they want the broker to accept $150,000 worth of cargo liability, and the broker has to turn around and jam it down on the carrier in terms of offset because they don't have the time or the ability to really smoke your insurance much more than just uh, ask for a certificate. Uh, uh, you know, I was talking today to uh, uh, to somebody, and we were talking about the fact that so often carriers just buy cargo insurance on price and don't really know about the exclusions until until the the loss happens. And you know, I think if you uh, when you buy your insurance, you need to know what coverage you got. And, you know, if you've got defective coverage, then uh, don't go out accepting uh, liability for anything that's, uh, uh, that exceeds your limits or that you, don't, uh, uh, that, uh, that you can't afford to handle. I can't tell you how many small carriers are just very simply out of business because they can't pay the cargo claim. I'm working on one uh, right now where I represent the broker, the brokers uh, uh, filed the claim. Uh, the carrier was obviously uh, at fault. His insurance company said that the unit uh, that handled the shipment wasn't on the policy, so the insurance company isn't going to pay the claim. Uh, you wow. know, that's a that's a very good reason I would think to go into a shipper and say, "Now look, buddy, I I got I got five trucks. They're all listed to." All listed on my insurance policy. Uh, here, here's the coverage I've got. Here's the deck page. Uh, you know, I'm fully insured. Uh, you know, you go to some broker. You don't know whether or not he's got uh, uh, Swiss cheese insurance. Uh, and you got somebody. How many times you have a guy bumping your dock that you don't even know? You don't even know the name of the carrier. All you got on the bill of lading is the brokers. Well, you know how how right. big is that going to be? They can be triple brokered. Uh, you know, I want to develop the rapport that you call me. I own the company. If you got a problem with me, we'll get it straightened out. You won't have to go call some broker in uh, in Minnesota to try to find me. You'll, you know, you, you, we, we want to be responsive. We're small people. We know you're a, a, a smaller shipper. We want to develop a, a, a lasting relationship. I need to get away from call boards and brokers, and my guess is you do too. And I mean, that, I think that's kind of the pitch. And uh, uh, you know, there ought to be there ought to be a need for it. I'm I'm going to assume that a lot of people that are on the call uh, are, are are domiciled in domiciled in small towns. Uh, uh, they may very well be a known entity in the small town they're based on. Well, that's that's the way to get started. Uh, it may very well be that, you know, you've got a shipper uh, in your small town that ships to uh, 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 a, a supplier, uh, you know, for remanufacturing. The shipment then goes on somewhere else so that you can get two legs of a three-legged race, uh, you know, which I think is wonderful. I, uh, when I had a trucking company, uh, nobody, nobody wanted to go. Uh, had a shipper just had a hell of a hard time getting out of that northern neck of of West Virginia. Uh, he had all this freight in the world coming out of West Virginia, but nobody could get up there and serve it. So we took all the loads we could to Buffalo because we knew we could drop down and pick up a really good paying load coming out. And you know some of that kind of strategy 
I think it may be the way for a, a small man to do it. Uh, figure out where where that uh, position himself so that he can get within 150 miles of that uh, that backhaul that'll bring him on home. Uh, you know, you get you get a good lane and just just run the hell out of it. I think it I think it certainly beats sitting up every morning trying to find a load. Absolutely, absolutely. And one other thing you just want to put into uh, our listeners' mind is. You could become, um, um, and Hank, help me out with this one. What are the legal ramifications for a motor carrier that also has a brokerage? Uh, how how should that how should that whole setup be uh, as far as setting it up and, and making sure that you do, do it properly? Because if you try to run it under both, I think you may run into a situation where your insurance may get canceled or something like that. It's not going to make your insurance company very happy. So someone well, was interested in the FMCSA will let me be seat and trucking and have a broker's license in seat and trucking. That really violates Map Twenty One, and the way in which you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to identify for both the shipper and the carrier when you're wearing your broker hat, so that if I'm seat and trucking and seat and logistics, and I tell my customer, "Look, I'm going to." I'm going to cover your lane, but if I don't have a truck, I'm going to let you know that I'm I'm sending in uh, Muhammad Transport. It's going to be run through Seaton Logistics, and that's that's the way to do it. Uh, there is a little additional cost to have a separate company, but the broker regulations actually require that a broker not represent itself as a carrier, and the last thing you want to do is have your name on the bill of lading and somebody else under the load. So, uh, you know, you really need legally to make a distinction between when you're you're actually brokering and when you're hauling it on your own load. Unless uh, the one exception to that is if, uh, if you go and pick up the shipment and bring it back to, to your facility and transload it or do a, a trailer interchange, it doesn't have to be brokerage. Uh, Getting a broker's bond, which is uh, in addition to the application, is really the only expense, is not an expensive proposition. Uh, it will cost you probably under $2,000 a year for the broker's bond, which compared to what you pay for insurance is, uh, is, is a peppercorn. Now, that's based upon your financial strength and in fact, you know, you haven't declared personal bankruptcy or something, but uh, it's it's not a major it's not a major impediment. Of course, uh, you know, if you're if you're worried about keeping three trucks busy, uh, getting a getting a and exporting a broker's bond may not be it may not be particularly uh, uh, valuable right now. But uh, most carriers that I know that have you know twenty or more trucks have have a brokerage or some way to outsource additional capacity so that when they get that customer, they don't have to tell him yes today and no tomorrow. Now you spell what I'm cooking. That's exactly what I was getting at because somebody listening here on tonight, I, I believe is going, to, is going to take some of our advice and go out and, and take the bull by the horns. And then they say, well, what in the world do I do when if somebody says yes and throws all this freight at me that I can no longer, that I could not possibly handle? 
And that's where if you had your own brokerage set up, or even if you became an agent for a broker, uh, that's another avenue that you might want to pursue and see if you could get an agency set up for you to be an agent for a broker. And that way you don't have to turn down any freight and it gives you the ability to uh, not give up any of your entrepreneurship as well. So that's exactly what I was hit, uh, I was getting ready to get at, Hanky, and I, I appreciate you for setting that up for me. So beautiful. Um, got a couple of callers with some more questions, and we are just about close, close to wrapping this baby up. Time really flies, but let's see if we got a call. We got a caller calling in from 254 area code. I don't have a name in on this one. Caller from the 254 area code. You're on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Hello, caller. Okay, I guess they might have got a little bashful on us. We'll put that caller back on hold. Let's see here. Let's go to uh, caller. Looks like my screener's trying to get a hold of that person. Let's go to the caller calling in from the 585 area code. Caller, you're on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Hey, good evening, Rico. George Heck, how are you? Hello, Hank. Hey, George. Hey, I, one, Hank, one thing I want, I, I was trying. Is he? Uh, he should be. I don't, I don't see him drop off. Go ahead. Go ahead with your question, though, George. Okay. Well, Rico, one thing I wanted to add, you, you had mentioned, and maybe, maybe I misunderstood. Um, I am certainly not a fan of, of uh, whether it be mailings or, or going into customers and say, oh, well, I'll move it for, for this cheap rate just to get my foot in the door. I can't tell you enough. I, I think that's suicide. I think it's a bad idea. I, I just, I don't like it. Uh, you, you tend to undervalue yourself. And that's what's remembered, and that ends up becoming the benchmark. I got where you're coming from on that, on that, George. My my whole indication with Bill, I was making a suggestion that you might be able to go in, and I'm not saying even advertise a really cheap rate. You might even be able to advertise a high rate. But what I'm what I'm saying is, it, it may be a, a, a ploy to try and use like an introductory rate. I'm not saying that this is going to be the rate. This is like an introductory. You know, hey, we're just starting a new rollout into the area. And for a limited time, you know what I'm saying, to try to, try to create a little yeah, urgency, I, just trying to look at, look at it, trying to look okay, at it from yeah, a different I, aspect I, of what, what can we do to get the phone to ring? Yeah, and I, I, and I think there's something to be said for that. But if you're running one, two, three, half a dozen trucks, I think it's kind of tough because when that opportunity pre presents, if you're not consistently in that market, you're not going to be able to handle it. You know, right, and that's so, what I'm they're going to call and, and take the bait, but you're not going to be there to do it. Right, you can't, you can't, that's not something that you can, that's not an arrow that you want to fire if you're not going to be able to, to, to service that with the consistency that it's going to require. So, and, I, and that's the whole thing. Yep. You've got, you got to be able to narrow it down and say, okay, I'm going to come, come hell or high water, hook is going to be my service area, and I'm going to be, if, if, I, if, if you want to find me, then I'm going to be found within this within this dumbbell or, or, or trial area that uh, of, of service that I've laid out that I've thrown out for myself. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I had a scenario with, with my second LTL company that I went to when they expanded into the Northeast, and their service took longer and was inconsistent. But you know, we promised the world, and you know what? That came back to haunt me 
faster than I could even blink my eyes. I mean, because we're like, yep, we're going to give next day service from point A to point B. Well, operations decided they didn't have enough freight on the truck. The truck didn't move that night. You know what? That was a critical move. And bottom line, you end up losing your credibility. We lost so much business and it was gone. And it took years to get over that. Right, right. And I think we found out the problem. I don't know, I don't know how, but uh, Hank had, Hank's mic got muted. Hank, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. We got Rico. you now. Yep. I don't know how. Can you hear me, Rico? Yes, sir. We got Rico, you loud and clear, I can Hank. hear you. You can't hear me? Okay. We, yes, sir. We can hear you. We can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, I think, okay, uh, you good. know, I think, I, I think if you can hear me, I've been listening to George. And I think I, I'm probably on George's side of the debate. Uh, if you figure that the broker has got 15% in it, then, uh, you know, you're taking a 15% haircut. You ought to be able to have an introductory rate that is uh, uh, certainly competitive or lower than the brokers and still make a good margin. So uh, particularly that, if you that, can that get my, it that's direct. My, that's my argument. Absolutely, that's my argument right there. If, if if you if you can throw that out there, because if you got to remember the rate that the brokers offering you at, well, you got to know the brokers absolutely making a profit on the load, or you making something on the load. So so that kind of gives you if you're not if you're not really astute as to what the uh, rates are, well, that kind of gives you a little bit of a barometer, of course, so you can begin to add a little bit more on top of that rate that the brokers already offering you. You know, maybe add two or three hundred bucks on top of that rate, and that you know. If, if you're not really uh, um, up, up on speed as far as what the radio is in that lane, then they should give you an idea. And, and, and it also helps to know if you know exactly what your costs are, what your costs of operation are. You know, that's my, that was my whole uh, strategy behind, you know, hey, advertising the rate. I understand what I understand fully what George is saying as well. I, I think that, you know, I'm just trying to throw, um, not necessarily put together a whole bunch of stuff and throw, throw a bunch of stuff up against the wall what sticks just want to give more uh options and, uh, and different uh, avenues to maybe to begin to get the phone to ring and try to get people creative juices to start to flow and say hey well somebody might be able to think of something that we haven't even discussed on the line tonight so that, that was really my point and purpose of, of throwing that out there well i, I guess and, i guess and, the you know point what? i guess and, the point the point i'd be making is if you could get uh eight to ten percent more than the brokers offered it to you for uh and you could be the first call by the shipper then uh, you know that eight to ten percent is going to follow the bottom line right right well well I, I want to add? And, and yeah yeah i do want to add it and you know there, there's nothing you know you, you can telemarket yourself and you can throw out mailers and whatnot. I, you know, I, I'm just not a huge fan of those. I haven't seen the success in the years that I've done it other than, you know, the, the success you have from going in and knocking on somebody's door and put a face with a name. And I'm going to call out somebody here who just did that. You know, we're both friends, I think with Carl, and I don't know if you followed him. I won't mention his last name, but the young man's from Iowa went out to New York City, runs a reefer operation, and went out there and started pounding on doors, went out in his pickup. I was floored that, you know what, he, he's, he's got the guts. He's going to do it. He had 
good and great successes, but he also had a ton of doors slammed in his face. But that's what it takes. And I just want people to understand, you're not just going to make a phone call and say, hey, do you have any freight? No, we're all set. Okay, well, I made 10 of those calls today. That's not what it takes. You made one phone call that was a telemarketing call. I, I think of myself at home here. You know, a phone call comes in. We know it's telemarketing, 1-800. It pops up on the TV. We ignore it. Same thing is happening there. You, you got to figure out what it is you want, where you want to be, how you're going to do it, and sell the hell out of yourself. I don't disagree with that. You're absolutely right, George. And, and that's the whole purpose of tonight's phone call. really don't want to get into a point of don't want people to be selling. Hey, Rico. Yeah, I think we lost Rico. I'm, I'm still on. Yeah, well, I, I apologize, ladies. I, I apologize. I, I got back in. Uh, no, what I was going to say with that was, was don't want to be selling. We want to be educating. And, and I think if we can, if we come from uh, a standpoint of educating potential shippers, then we'll be in a better situation. Oh, I, and absolutely. And the thing is, and just, just be yourself. Be a gentleman, a gentlewoman out there. Just be personable. I, you know, and I've said this before, and, and, you know, I know there's people rolling their eyes in their head saying, George, what the hell do you know? But, you know what, this industry has such a low bar in transportation, and people are yearning for good carriers. And I'm not talking about the big folks. God bless the Pepsi, the, you know, and, and Coke and Frito-Lay and you know, all those. You know what, they all serve a purpose. But you want to get down to the meat and potatoes? You, you want to be impressed with rates? Get away from looking at what the brokers are and thinking you want to be 10, 15, 20%. You know, because those little carrier, little customers are the ones that the brokers are making the 30 and the 40 and higher percentages on. You just got to be there and service the heck out of them and give them whatever they want. Really great point, George. I, and, and I appreciate the input. I, I, I kind of knew this. I knew I was going to get you to pop play tonight and offer us a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, insight to help us out a little bit. Um, anything else you want to throw in before we move on real quick, George? No, I'm going to I'm going to hang up and continue to listen. But uh, I'm going to give you a buzz, Rico. There's a chance. Um, I'm pretty much 99% sure I'll be in Atlanta next Thursday delivery, but I'm kind of tight on time. So if we can catch up, I'd like to. Oh, cool beans! All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see what happens. Right. And Link, as always, a nice job. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you cut me loose and grab anyone else yet. Yeah, we got one more caller with a question, and then I think we're gonna get ready to wrap this thing up here because we've been over, we're going starting to go over just a little bit. Let's jump on and let's grab Brandon. Brandon calling in has a question uh, dealing with first shippers' needs and advice. Uh, Brandon, what's your question? Did you all allow with Rico and Hank? How can we help? Hey, how you doing? Um, well, my first question is, yeah, I'm in the process of, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. I'm in the process of dealing with my first shipper. Um, I've been going back and forward with them, and uh, they pretty much really, you know, like me, and they're really trying to, you know, uh, see what we could do as far as business together. And the one thing I liked about them so far is they actually showed me the rates that they're shipping out right now. And my it's, my situation is, I have no problem expanding my company. I'm a fire truck operation right now, and I'm definitely trying to get out of, uh, you know, having to deal with brokers all the time. But my question is, 
how should I, should I, um, cause they basically right now shipping three, 30 loads a day. I know I can't handle 30 loads a day with a fire truck operation cause they basically ship all over. So, but they willing to like, here you go, Brandon, here's all 30 loads. And then I just told they just increased to 60 last week. So they really trying to meet up with me to see what I could do. So the situation I'm in right now is, should I become an agent to be able to, you know, move that freight, the ones I cannot handle with the, my truck operation? Or, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to handle it because I, I really ain't got nobody that can tell me what to do or which way should I go, you know, because I wouldn't mind starting my own brokerage. That's no problem. Set it up the right way if I have to do go that route. <laughs> I think you. I think you ought to. Uh, you ought to tell them which of the five loads uh, that, uh, in terms of the five lanes, you can handle the best and do the best you can and build it out of stone. I think. If, I think if you try to jump out and say I'm going to haul seventy loads tomorrow, uh, you're going <laughs> to have some explaining to do when somebody falls through on you and they don't have insurance and now you've got a claim. Uh, so right. uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, I think probably your best thing to do is to say, hey, look, uh, uh, you know, I want to be an asset-based carrier. I, I would look at uh, trying to help you fill in some lanes uh, with a maybe selective co-broker agreement or something, and I can I can help you with that. But I, I think you uh, don't let don't let your eyes outrun your stomach. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I've got a I've got I've got a son who is uh, uh, in trucking and he's in a particular niche where there's all the freight he can possibly handle, but uh, he he uh, he's leery of uh, of putting on uh, on drivers or, or or brokers that he can't trust because uh, you know one bad claim and he's upside down and uh, you know I know you've got to be uh, uh, ambitious but. Uh, I guess as a lawyer, I see so many deals go bad. Uh, I've got one deal <coughs> here where uh, a broker's called me and he gave a carrier in California <coughs> a commitment to handle 100 and, 110 loads to uh, uh, to Colorado and woke up 15 loads into it and found out he was broken them all and they weren't getting there on time and there were claims that now he's threatened with losing his largest account uh, because of, uh, uh, you know, even though the contract with the carrier he hired said the carrier would put them all on his own truck, well, he didn't have the truck. So he started broken the hell out of it, and and, and, and now it's just a, a good idea gone bad. But uh, there wasn't, a, you know, the, car the carrier he chose to, uh, to bet on didn't have the resources to to meet the contract obligation and skirted the edges and and now it's a holy mess. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, lately I've been, you know, I'm continuing to expand. I mean, I'm at five. My goal, you know, my goal is at least ten by the end of the year. So, I mean, I'm in a position to really handle a customer, you know, right now. But I see what you're saying. Just you know, your 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 problem is: if, are you growing with owner operator or the company fleet? Company fleet. Uh, I got some owner operators. But mostly, I got I got company drivers. I got three company drivers and two owner operators right now. And plus, I well, that's my great. I mean, too, as so. long as long as you can, as long as 
you feel comfortable putting the future of your trucking company in the driver's hands, then I say go for it. Okay. I mean, you know, the question is, uh, if you start cutting corners on the quality of the driver and or, or the owner-operator and you don't have a, a warm, fuzzy feeling about them, I think, you know, you need a, you need a sanity check because, uh, right. you know, you're only as good as, well, your, as your driving force. Well, most of the owner-operators that I, I deal with or that I'm planning on adding on, we we have worked together before with another uh, lease on carrier before I became having my own authority, so I kind of know they work ethics almost. <laughs> well, you know what they're trying to do. The so, driver, if you got the driver and owner operator problem solved, then you're a long way to being successful. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and just to throw in, it would it might behoove you to attempt to get your. Um, Get your uh, be an agent for a broker instead of getting your own broker starting out until you can absolutely uh, subsidize it on your own. Uh, but I think I think Hank right. probably touched that subject and, and, and gave you the best advice possible. Uh, but I know you know being an agent for a broker gives you a little bit of leeway to where you don't have to put the entire expense of, of, of maintaining and carrying that uh, carrying that, that that broker bond. If you don't have the uh, capacity to do so, if, you, if you're going to be you a, if you, a Rico, Rico, if he's going to be an agent or a broker, be sure he reads that agreement with that broker very carefully. I have seen situations in which agents have signed covenants not to compete if it didn't work well. So just be sure that you know if you go to a household name broker, you read very carefully any agent agreement. So that right. the, the customer remains here and it doesn't work out. That right, that was definitely that was exactly what I was getting ready to say. One clause that you definitely want to make sure that you get in there on a, on an agreement with the, being an agent for someone that you can take your book of business with you when you when, you got when it. the time comes that you ready to, that, that you're ready to leave that you can take your book of business that that book of business is yours that could, uh, you, it was your hard work, blood, sweat, tears to earn that business. So you definitely want to make sure that you protect yourself. Which is, which is, again, another thing that I was just talking with someone earlier today, and I think that people inherit have a, a good-hearted a good nature about themselves. And I think human beings in, in general, I think most humans um, think along the lines of people are going to try to do what's right. Most people are trying to uh, uh, want to be somewhat respectable or whatever and, and, and honest and, and fair dealing with in all of their affairs. But in business, you cannot depend upon that good-hearted human nature to always be there. In business, you have to make sure that you are uh, covering your own interests. And that's definitely, uh, I hate to say it, you know, but, but we already know we're in, a, we're in a very litigious society. And in business, there is no such thing, you know, you, you have to look out for your own best interest. And that's where it really becomes important when you're dealing with contracts and anything like that if you're not an attorney and you don't understand the stuff well by all means give right. Mr. Seaton and his, and, and, and his colleagues a phone call and let them take it over take a look at it because you know yeah two or three hundred bucks may sound like a lot of money right now but I mean it's, it, it'll be peanuts compared to if you if you find yourself in some type of litigation uh, and done away with uh, uh, before you even went down the road with dealing with some of the stuff that's out there so, you know, it's like the old, the old saying, an ounce of provision is worth a pound of cure. You know, definitely, uh, you know, um, 
take advantage of the opportunity and, and, and get get aboard with Hank and those guys and, and make sure that you are, you know, just following up with them. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I haven't really figured out which, uh, you know, uh, ag- agency, broker agency that I'm going to deal with yet. So, but I'm definitely going to um, have a lawyer look over the uh, contract before I become one. Cause I've, I've been thinking about seriously becoming an agent also. So, you know, especially with my growth and wanting to be able to deal with uh, shippers, you know, especially while I got one in the bag right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, so that's basically what I'm trying to do, and I appreciate your uh, advice. And uh, I'm definitely gonna look, at, gonna give Hank a call to see right. what I need to do as far as setting it up. That'd be great. I look forward to talking to you. Okay, thanks. Yes, sir, Brendan. We appreciate it. Well, Hank, and that kind of wraps up uh, the phone call questions that we had as of right now. So we we're not really gonna take any more. But thing, um, I know you touched on a couple of things earlier, but is there anything that you want to touch on in closing this out? And uh, if you could, if you don't mind, give us uh, some uh, a way no, to get in contact with you and your guys. Not, not, not really. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've got some uh, rough road ahead if we look at uh, uh, all of the compliance issues. I, I appreciated the uh, the comment tonight about the, uh, the KYU number. Uh, the more that uh, we're working with small carriers to get started. The more we're seeing, there's about uh, 32, uh, 32 rocks in the road to to, to getting in, in compliance. And uh, you know, if if, uh, if if small people need to get in into business and need a need a checklist or or, or help with uh, uh, some of these compliance issues, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell them to give me a call. We'll try to help them out. All right, and we appreciate it once again, Hank, for all your help and your, and your feedback sure. tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Rates and Lanes podcast with Rico Muhammad, especially against Hank Seaton joining us tonight to answer all of your transportation law questions. We want to give a special shout-out and thanks to Kevin, Lisa Rutherford, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford and the entire Let's Truck team. Without those guys, we cannot, the show would not be possible, so we definitely want to give those guys a shout-out and give them many thanks. And, of course, to you guys, the listeners, that take your time out of your uh, busy schedules every week to come in and listen to our show, download the cast, and share the podcast. If you're not uh, already on Facebook, if you are on Facebook and you're not liking the Race and Lane's Facebook page, by all means, please go over and give us a like. It's a way for us to stay in contact with you to get disseminate uh, inf- as much information as we possibly can on a weekly basis, weekly and daily basis, not just on Wednesday nights. We try to send some stuff out every week uh, pertinent to the market and things that you can look up and, and just kind of put different tools in your toolbox, different reports that, that may have access to if you're not familiar with how to get to them. You can always go to our Facebook page and click on the links. We try to post all of the links up on the Facebook page. So definitely go over and check us out on Facebook, like the Rates and Lanes Facebook page with Rico Muhammad. And we'll see you guys next week. I think next week we're going to have uh, Chuck Snow, the CEO of Traffic, is going to be joining us. And we're going to kind of stay along the theme of trying to get out here and help you get some more tools in your toolbox to get you and secure you your, your first. Um, we want to start hearing more success stories. We want to start hearing more people talk about uh, going out and getting their first customer, some of the things that they use or some some of the things that they did. Give us some different feedback. If you don't mind sharing some different – I never worry about people sometimes say, well, why would you give out so much advice and, and this, that, and this. I, I, I believe in that, that there is more than enough out there for everybody to get their fair share. And if you are 
if you're out there, I can't service, and you couldn't possibly service every potential shipper there there is out there. And I'm and I'm only servicing a, a specific segment anyway. So there's definitely enough shippers to go around. So you know, don't 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 be a hoarder of advice. Let's try and pay it forward. Let's try to see if we can make this industry a better place by sharing and exchanging as much information as we possibly can, so that we can try to help and help educate those guys that are coming in, the newbies that are coming in, to try and so that we're not competing against driving the market down. If everybody was at, was educated as far as what rates are and, and what, what different potential lays out there in different lanes and that, of that nature, if we can do that and empower those guys and those ladies and gentlemen that are starting their trucking companies, I think it's going to be uh, a beneficial for everyone out there so that we're not competing against people that don't know the rates and cutting the rates and, and instead of just sitting around and complaining about them on the truck stop and the TVs, let's try to actually do something to put our best foot forward to try to change that reality. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Rico Muhammad signing out to you out of Atlanta, Georgia. Wanted to say God bless, be safe out there, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.